you are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much again, Lord, for being with us throughout this week. Thank you for uh, protecting us and keeping us last night through the storm. Thank you for allowing everyone to be able to wake up this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be able to walk about in our right minds. And Father, we just pray and ask that you would be with us um, in this session, that you will continue to give wisdom and understanding. Father, um, in comparison to you, we know nothing. And so we are asking you to join and be with us here um, as we talk about subjects that we really believe are important to you in the realms of relationship, marriage, um, relationships of all kind. So again, we thank you, Father, and we love you, and we ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So same thing we did every other day, right? We are reiterating that this is where you can go to access um, um, the information for grief recovery. Again, grief recovery is not taking place here on this campus, but we do have sessions that, a new session that is starting in June. So if you would like to be a part of that, you can do that QR code, or you can even go to that website to find out the information. If you would like to meet with us um, while here at camp, we still do have some sessions that are available. So you can use that QR code for coaching. You can meet with us, and we would love to sit down and talk with you. Um, we have 40-minute sessions that are available. Would you push that way? Okay. All right. All right. And so, I love you guys. I'm sorry. I just see my friends. Okay. So, um, we are going to do some review as we do. Uh, just to kind of reiterate and bring home what we've been talking about. Yes, we've been talking about the tune-up. I personally don't know what a tune-up is, right? I've never done one, but we're just using that language because it just sounds applicable, okay? And um, tune-up, and we are going to review some of the things that we've been talking about. So things that make it difficult, um, make conflict difficult are, what are they? You keep talking. Okay. Control. Control. We talked about control yesterday, and we had a come-to-Jesus moment, didn't we, where most of us raised our hand and said, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I deal with struggling with wanting to be in control. Amen? Yes. Telling the truth is all right, saints. And we also discovered, though, that being in control is not always a healthy thing. Matter of fact, being in control is never a healthy thing because Jesus needs to be in control, right? And when Jesus is in control, um, it helps us not to sabotage our relationships, whether it's our marriages, raising our children, our jobs, even at church, okay? Um, we also talked about the dangers of moralizing or spiritualizing. That is taking the Bible and, i.e., the spirit of prophecy and using them so that you can get people to do what you want them to do in your relationships with them. That's a no-no, right? No, that's a no-no. Why? Because not only does it give God a bad name, it also does not help us in being able to be winsome and to win our family members, all right? Um, we also talked about the dangers of filters, and filters are these things that are over our ears, that we hear things that aren't necessarily said, but because of the things that are already in our hearts and that we're struggling with, we hear things that really weren't said. We see things that really weren't there. And so we need God to come in and we need him to take that spiritual eye salve, right? And clean that off so that we can hear properly and see properly. We talked about defensiveness based on negative self-talk. And self-talk is that little thing that sits on your shoulder and that's telling you things that really aren't true. It's the, remember I told you the story about one of my clients who literally hated one of her own family members, but not because they did anything to her, but because of what she believed the family member thought about her. And it actually turned out that that's what she thought about herself. So she projected those thoughts and feelings onto the other person. And it created a damaging effect in their relationship. And lastly, we talked about personal 
versus task conflict. And I'll let you continue to explain to them about that. Yeah, we suggested that, um, that uh, we have a difficult time separating task-related conflict from personal conflict. So if the dinner wasn't uh, what I think that it should be, which is a task, then I will uh, levy a personal attack. Mm -hmm. You are unkind and you are unthoughtful, you are selfish. Mm -hmm. Those things are personal mm -hmm. uh, responses or remarks instead of, well, why was the dinner burnt tonight? Mm -hmm. That's task. And so because we have a difficult time separating the two, our tendency is to stay away from any type of conflict whatsoever, even though mm -hmm. we discovered by the grace of God that whether we eat, whether we drink, or whatever we do, we should do it all to the, to the glory of God. So even when we have disagreements by the grace of God, we can so align ourselves so that at the end of the day, when all is said and done, mm -hmm and any other cliches you can throw in there, <laughs> that God will receive the glory. Yes. God will receive the glory. Yes. So I promised you all that I'm not one of these people that likes to throw out quotes and, you know, the spirit of prophecy says somewhere that you shouldn't <laughs> uh, tie your tie this way. I don't like doing that. Uh, this is desire of ages, I, you know, whatever. It's, it's, I know it's a lot maybe for you, but just get the reference. Desire of Ages, page 466. In the work of redemption, there is no, what does that next word say? There is no compulsion. No external force is employed. I, 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 see, I'm a preacher, so I'm not even going to get into this. I'm, I, okay, just tell me not to stop, okay? <clears throat> no external force is employed. Under the influence of the Spirit of God, man is left free to choose whom he will serve. This was given in the context of how we raise our children. Mm -hmm. We can raise our children not to think, mm -hmm. not to exercise their God-given abilities, or we can raise them for the time when they will have to use their God-given abilities outside of our presence. In the change that takes place when the soul surrenders to Christ, there is the highest sense of freedom. The expulsion of sin is the act of mm. the soul itself. True, we have no power to free ourselves from Satan's control. But when we desire to be set free from sin and on our great need cry out for a power out of and above ourselves, the powers of the soul are imbued with the divine energy of the Holy Spirit mm. and they obey the dictates of the will in fulfilling the will of God. Can somebody say amen? Hey, amen. <laughs> wow. I just let y'all chew on that and, you know, you, 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 you can catch up with us next week. Education, page 17. Every human being created in the image of God, this was, you know, the, the powers that we are given akin to that of our creator. Every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to that of the creator. Individuality, power to think and to do. The men in whom this power is developed are the men who bear responsibilities, who are leaders in enterprise and who influence character. It is the work of true education to develop this power, mm -hmm. to train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's 
thought. And that other man's thought is not even my thoughts or yours as parents. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. This is, uh, I talked about this briefly when I talked about the will. God does not design that our will should be destroyed, for it is only through its exercise that we can accomplish what he would have us do. Our will is to be yielded to him that we may receive it. What does the next word say? Again. That we may receive it again. Come on, read those next words. Purified, Purified and refined and so linked in sympathy with the divine that he can pour through us the tides of his love and power. Oh, you thought I was done. No, no, no. We got one more for you. Education, page 288. Woo, now this is a gem. The effort to break the will of a child is a terrible mistake. Just, just keep that between you and Jesus now. <laughs> the effort to break the will of a child is a terrible mistake. Minds are constituted differently. While force may secure outward submission, mm -hmm. the result with many children is a more determined rebellion of the heart. Even should the parent or teacher succeed in gaining the control he seeks. Remember we talked about control? In gaining the control he seeks, the outcome may be no less harmful to the child. The discipline of a human being who has reached the years of intelligence should differ from the training of a dumb animal. The beast is taught only submission to its master. For the beast, the master is mind, judgment, and will. For the child, the parent is mind, judgment, oh, okay. This method, sometimes employed in the training of children, makes them little more than automatons. Mind, will, conscience are under the control of another. And let me tell you, oh man, whew, help us, Lord. And as parents, uh, we've seen parents flip the script so many times because Somebody else enters into the life of my child. And this is what that sounds like. Yeah. Pastor, I'm just, I'm just so worried that, you know, my child, they're not thinking for themselves. But did you teach them to think for themselves? Well, I, I just fear that this other person is controlling them. You mean the way that you're used to controlling them? Now, now, so, that's, now that's a real thing. That's yeah, yeah. a real thing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I told you, I'm one of those people. Pray for me, saints. I need you to go home after camp meeting and put me on your list, okay? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But that transition from being the one who, right, is in control, and now you raise them to be independent and go on their own and live their life, and when they actually start doing it. Or you thought you were raising them. Or you thought you were, right? Okay. And then when they actually start doing it, you start trying to gain back control, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's an interesting thing. From a significant other who you fear your child is listening to more than you. And so it's really not about your child yeah. as much as it is about who's going to be in control. Hmm. Now, I know nobody in here has ever dealt with that, but you know, <laughs> this is just a case study for, for, for the rest of us. Okay. <clears throat> it is not God's purpose that any mind should be thus dominated. Those who weaken or destroy individuality assume a responsibility that can result only in, Ooh. wait a minute, did you get that? That means you can take them to church every Sabbath. Mm. That means I can sign them up for adventurers 
and pathfinders, and they can be active in all of the auxiliaries of the church. But if underlying all of that activity is the reality that I'm weakening or destroying their individuality, what is the end going to be? I don't know what happened to my kids. We raised them in the church. Okay, okay, let me go on, let me go on. While under authority, the children may appear like well-drilled soldiers. Woo. But when the control ceases, the character will be found to lack strength and steadfastness, having never learned to govern himself. The youth recognizes no restraint except the requirement of parents or teacher. This removed, he knows not how to use his liberty and often gives himself up to indulgence that proves his ruin. The, um, if you've been here all week, so you're probably kind of used to this already. And so well, I don't mean to offend anybody because we like to throw ourselves under the bus, okay? So you're my friends, right? Thank you. Okay. Um, you know, I will, being a ministry couple, something that we've had to learn, and I'm hoping this will be maybe a nugget of wisdom for you, right? Maybe you already have it because, you know, we are still in the process. Some of you have children older than ours, so this is something you may already know. But um, being, a, being a ministry couple, um, oftentimes you can feel very much pressed that you produce perfect, right? That everything your children do and you do so that people, when they see you, right, they will believe that you are perfect, right? Now, we know that that sounds idiotic because only God is perfect, right? But even though we know it sounds crazy, we still do it, right? Because we're afraid of what you will think of us if you see our children misbehave or, and it's sad, but I had a conversation with someone the other day, and it is actually a very, very sad thing. Um, that, you know, there are children who experience being raised in, in a religious culture where they literally tell their children, I need you to behave like this because when, if we see these particular people, you know, put, put, put a skirt on instead of pants because when they see you with the skirt on, I want them to know that we are teaching you, you know, dress principles. But you allow them to walk around <laughs> all other days, right, with pants on. Now, I want you to hear me, right? Because that's an outward thing. But listen, what this says to a child, as a matter of fact, I'm not going to say it. You tell me what that says to a child. The way we are isn't okay. Anyone else? Hypo Hypocrisy. Say that loud. Hypocrisy, right? And so we start to train our children that it is more about the environment that we're in and the people that we're around that matters the most because we want to be accepted by them, not necessarily based on a principle. Now, I'm not here to judge how you're dressing. I'm just not what this sermon, is, this thing is about today. What this is about, though, is all the things that we've just been reading and how we teach our children, we pass along a very dysfunctional thought process so that when they leave our presence, I'm going to tell you what that produces. It produces bitterness and resentment, right? Because when they leave out the house and they go put on their first pair of pants and, and, and God doesn't strike them down, they lied. Can you understand where that leads? Again, this isn't about dress principle. This is about telling my child that it is more about what I want people to think we are 
then allowing you to grow and to mature in your Christian experience and make decisions and choices that are based on principle. Do you understand me? Yeah. And, and even, even beyond getting into those things, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, when you have a newborn, those, those who have brought newborns to church and our church is nice and sanctified and holy and quiet until your newborn comes in. <laughs> Yes. And they just want to start praising the Lord. Nobody else is singing and praising the Lord, but the newborn wants to start singing and praising the Lord. And you got members who are seated like this and their heads just. Right. And uh, sometimes in, you know, in some churches, the ushers will come and, you know, take the take help you to take your child out because your child needs to be quiet. And like, I mean, come on, folks. Mm -hmm. I just got to say, that's the stupidest thing ever. That is. Mm -hmm. What we're saying, the message we're sending is, I expect your newborn child to behave like an adult in a worship service. Now, how much sense does that make? I, I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. And I, I know this because my wife, when we, uh, when we had our son, my wife came to the point where she said to me, oh, yeah. I don't even want to go to church. Anybody ever been there? And I was like, what, what do you mean you don't want to go to church? She was like, I don't want to go to church. She said, number one, I don't get anything out of it. Number two, whenever the baby cries, I feel all the eyes of the people in the church are on me. And then, you know, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm trying to get the baby to quiet down. This is not the normal schedule that the baby is on and this, that, and the other. And so there was, there was just this anxiety about coming to church. And then people are going to look on you, like, look, look at her. And, and, and again, this is the self-talk. Mm -hmm. Not everyone said it, but sometimes right. you got some real good saints who will say it. <laughs> and they're like, you know, come see me. I'll help you to really train that child. Because yeah. you haven't been doing any of that at home. And you haven't been making any efforts, right? Yeah. And so understanding that, I'm saying, man, if, I, if, if, if my wife can experience that, if I can experience that, you know, then I know others experience it. And we wonder why mamas just disappear for months on Ten end. Ten years. Or months or even years and don't want to come to church because they know that when they come to church, what they're going to experience yeah. is they're going to be treated as though they're outcasts because your baby doesn't behave like an adult in church. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's move on because we, we, we could talk more about that. But we got uh, a couple of tips <laughs> yes. in terms of dealing with conflict because that's what we were talking about yesterday, necessary combustion. Uh, and by the way, you know, I, we want to apologize <laughs> if you read the camp meeting brochures and you were looking for all of it because, you know, we totally flipped the script on all of that. So we had a plan. We did. And then we felt like God had a plan. Yeah. So we, we're rolling with God's plan. So please yeah. forgive us if this is not what you expected. So um, tip number one, what does that say? If you are dealing with conflict, mm -hmm. trying to process your through conflict and, your and through your feelings and your emotions, yeah. you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the primary thing that we should do is always pray. Psalm 139, 23. Let's read that together. Search, Search me, God, and know, know my heart. Test me and, and know my anxious thoughts. thoughts. So when we pray, 
We're asking God for something specific. We're asking him to help us to understand what's going on in my mind, mm -hmm. right? What am I thinking? And is this thinking, is it healthy or is it unhealthy? Yes. Our tip number two. Investigate your feelings. Investigate. And um, investigate basically just says, do not allow your feelings to inform, right? But you need to inform your feelings. You need to take the time because if you don't inform or figure out what's actually going on and investigate what they are, you can react in your feelings and end up regretting your actions. You ever been there? You've thought something and then you've thought that you felt something and then you end up saying something that, and, and doing something and then later on you're like, oh, that. But you know you can't take it back, right? Because you've already said that thing or you've already did that thing. And man, I've, I've been there before. That doesn't feel good, right? So tip number two is investigate your feelings. One of my favorite passages, Isaiah 55, and this is talking about our relationship with God. And um, here the prophet suggests that it is the way we think mm. about how God will respond to us that keeps us from coming to him. Mm. And this is God's appeal. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. These two things are synonymous, right? Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So imagine this, people refusing to come to God because we feel if we come to him, he's not going to be able to forgive us. He's not going to be able to exercise mercy. And God says, stop thinking like that. Come to me. I want to extend mercy to you. Yeah. I want to forgive you. And you're like, no, 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 no. But I wouldn't extend mercy to me. And God says, that's right. But my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. And I love this, friends, because this not only, uh, this not only uh, refers to our relationship with God, but I think we can apply it to our relationships with others, too. Although sometimes I really do feel like I know your thoughts. Mm -hmm. I really do. You ever been there with your spouse? Like, I, you feel like you've lived with this person forever. Your children, right? I know that I gave birth to them. I knew their thoughts. Your when parents. They were, your parents. I know them. But let me inform you, you don't. <laughs> so just stop. You don't, yeah. right? So in our prayer and when we're investigating, mm -hmm. we can say, Lord, help me to remember mm -hmm. that I don't know my wife's thoughts. Yes. Her thoughts are not my thoughts. Yes. Her ways are not my ways. Yes. Right? Yep. Now, this is, okay, we're going to, I think that's maybe in the next, that's in one of the, the, the next tips, so I'm not going to go there yet. But uh, this is it. Tip number three, send your thoughts, your feelings through a filter. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is no, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Whatever is what? No, 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 no. The first one. Whatever is true. Whatever is true, right? See, this is, this is where when I think that I know what someone is thinking, and I know the reasons why they said or did whatever they've said or done, yeah. this is where we need to tell ourselves the truth. Yeah. And the truth is, I don't know their motives. I cannot read their hearts. I do not know their thoughts. I do not know the events of their day that led up to said behavior or words. Yeah. So I have to speak truth to myself. 
There's a word that, a phrase, I'm going to go there. There's a phrase that floats around out there, and it's talking about speaking truth to power. Let me tell you, if you ever want to speak truth to power, speak it to yourself. See, they, in, that phrase, in that framework, it's talked about speaking truth to someone or something or some system out there. No, the most powerful foe, the most powerful enemy that you and I face oh, yes. is right here. Yeah. It's not external, it's internal. Yeah. It's the way we think. It's the way we feel. So if we would speak truth to power, then we must speak it to ourselves. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So when, when I'm being overwhelmed with a flood of emotions and thoughts because I've interpreted something that my wife has done or said to mean this, then I've got to pray, Jesus, please take it away from me. It is not true. In the name of Jesus, yeah. help me to embrace the truth. Yes. Go ahead. And many of us find ourselves in conflict with one another because we don't follow these exercises. And man, once you, once you really actually begin to implement these things into your life, and I'm going to get be honest with you, it's not easy, especially if you're used to um, being a reactionary person, if you're used to blaming, if you're used to trying to go the opposite. Wait, 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 you just said something. Yeah. Reactionary. Is that a word? Reactionary. reactionary. Okay, but break that down. What is, what, who, who, can we get an example? Are you a reactionary person? I'm just well, going to put I, it out there. I, I, am I? No, I'm Look, asking Am you. I the drama? No. I can't read your mind. I don't know your thoughts or your ways. <laughs> I need you to be able to speak truth. I am. You know what? I, I am. I am definitely a, it's a battle, right? And I've, and praise be to God, there's victory. Amen. Um, but I definitely was a reactionary type of person because I didn't have tools um, to kind of walk and, and, and take myself through. And man, being a reactionary person is miserable mm -hmm. because that means that every single thing that someone can say to you can just set you off or you're or not even like, cause I'm not like, ah, I can be. Everybody knows my yeah, family, yeah, I can yeah, be. Yeah, you can, but you can be. generally though, it starts here with me. In here, oh man, I have some good old battles in my brain. You know, I got a nice little boxing suit. My gloves are pink. Like I am a good fighter up here, but man, it is exhausting. Mm. Oh my goodness, it is miserable and it does not help your relationships. And I'm talking about even with strangers, you can be that way. You ever, just people come, just come up to you and say, hi, you're like, what you want? Like, man, we lived in New York, that was horrible. I mm -hmm. think everybody in New York is reactionary. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't know, it was mm -hmm. just crazy. But mm -hmm. anyway, I digress, yes. <laughs> so the question is, is there, does anyone else find themselves having a double standard with this where we don't know what the other person is thinking, they don't know what we're thinking, but mm -hmm. then there are times when we have experiences and we say to ourselves, well, shouldn't they know? Or my, one of my favorites or our favorites is, if they love me, they would, they would know. know. Right? Right. So anybody ever experienced that? Let me see your hands. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now, so, so you're not alone. <laughs> We're with you're your sister. Alone. However, <laughs> that is one of the most, that is one of the biggest distortions, AKA lies from the pits of hell. It is that the devil has just, he just he passes it out like cards, right? If they love you, they would know. If they love you, they would know. No, people cannot read our minds, right? And so what we end up doing is we end up reacting 
because we are thinking that the other person is thinking the way we would think or they should know me, right? Yes. So he says he's found himself in a situation where you better know mm -hmm. what you did wrong. You better know what you said uh, is, is wrong. Yeah. And, you know, we, we generally talk about, um, we're not going to do it right now, but we talk about expectations. Yes. It's one of the top three reasons that couples get divorced, unrealistic expectations. And I think we can slide that up under an unrealistic expectation. It is unrealistic for us to expect that someone will know something that we have not told them. Yeah. Mm. Are you with me? It's unrealistic for me to expect my wife to know something that, uh, that, that I have not told her, I have not shared with her, mm -hmm. and then hold her responsible mm. when she does not fulfill it. Wow, right? Wow, wow. Woo, woo, woo. Oh. But, but that happens, doesn't it? Yep. You know, we get angry at people because they have not met expectations that we never shared with them. Mm. We never told them, this is something I need from you. Mm -hmm. This is very important to me. And as a result, we end up in these dysfunctional cycles. I got another hand over here. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now she shared a very powerful point. She said when she's in conflict, her mind goes blank. And so even if something has been shared a million times, mm -hmm. because the conflict is going on, you know, that, that's out the window. So sometimes it can be it can be that as well. Go ahead. And, you know, that actually happens quite a bit. I, another way that I will put that that going blank. Um, and this isn't for everyone or a blanket statement for everyone, but the going blank is kind of like an anxiety, right? You ever been there? I think I remember even as a child, right? I had that as a kid because I knew that if I did something, my parents were going to be, and literally when my parents would say like, man, did you remember when I, and I literally just freeze because of fear, right? And so that is, um, that happens quite a bit. And that sometimes it's stuff that we bring, you know, a reaction that we bring with us to somebody else. All right. A hand in the, yes. right there in the back. Go ahead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, powerful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. He said something that he and his wife have adopted is when they enter into a conflict, they look at each other and they, they, they process these thoughts or sometimes perhaps even say them, I didn't wake up this morning to hurt her. I didn't wake up this morning to hurt him. Mm -hmm. And it, it helps them to be able to move forward from there. Go ahead. What we like to call that is you're, you're establishing a boundary in your relationship, right? Um, as much pe some people may have that boundaries before we go to bed, we're going to talk about it, right? We're not going to go to sleep, right? Let the sun go down. That's a boundary, right? And so I think that that's actually very powerful that you have a, a place within your relationship when you see it going someplace and you know it's going to get uncomfortable that you have, what do you call it? What do you call those um, room or what is it? like a safe space or a safe place, right? Mm -hmm. Where you step into it and you're saying, listen, we're gonna stop right here, right? Before this gets ugly, and we're gonna reestablish our connection together, mm -hmm. right? And listen, you guys got all these nice things. I know some of you <laughs> hanging in your homes and everything. Why don't you start putting some of the things that are crucial and critical to our relationships? What if we hung those mm. in the bathroom? You spend a lot of time there, right? Mm -hmm. What if we hung those in the kitchen? 
you know, the Bible talks about it in Deuteronomy when you when yeah. you come in and when you go out. What if you put it in your garage if that's how you get to your car? What if you put it over, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the doorway when you come in and when you go out? Because it's true when crisis comes or with the passage of time, yeah. we can forget things. Yeah. But when we are reminded of these things over and over and we're intentional about uh, about remembering these things, there are little things that we can do that will help us to, to stay up on these. Thank you so very much for your comments. Yeah. Thank you for sharing as well as um, some of the questions. So we wanna talk to you about change in marriage and family relationships. Yes. And I wanna share with you that there is, you know, you come to a marriage seminar, you read a book, you know, you're in your devotion time, God speaks to you, you need to be a better son, you need to be a better daughter, a better husband, a better wife, a better man, a better woman, a better cousin, auntie, uncle, grandma, grandpa, whatever the case may be. And you're like, yes, Lord, that's what I need, that's what I want, help me. And you're like, this week I'm gonna be the new person. And you have all these wonderful concepts, all these wonderful ideas. You know, you came and Stephen and Tamara talked to you and said all this. I mean, you're like, man, that's great. And then you get home and you're like, <laughs> right. And, and, and there's a disconnect between the things that we hear and we are convicted that we need to adopt and, and make a part of our lives and our ability to actually walk in those things or live in those things. But I would like to suggest to you that one of the reasons, one of the reasons why we are discouraged, and I'm not even gonna ask you to raise your hands if you've ever, you know, began that journey to be this better, different, whatever the case may be, and you have, you have drawn back because you have told yourself, I can't do it. So here's the thing. When we read the Bible, we see the miracles of Jesus, right? And we love, how many of you love reading about the miracles of Jesus? Let me see your hands, right? Just love it, right? Oh, so, so there's this guy, he has leprosy, and he comes to Jesus, you know, uh, um, if thou canst, you know, uh, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I will be thou clean. The guy's leprosy is healed. And we're like, man, Jesus is so wonderful. He just heals this guy. And then there's a man who's laying in John chapter 5 at the pool of Bethesda. He's been there for 38 years. Jesus comes up to him and says, wilt thou be made whole? And he starts making excuses and talking about people around him aren't helping him. And Jesus says, rise, take up your bed and walk. This man, he feels the power of God and he begins to move and he's walking. There's another man who's born blind, John chapter 9. Jesus restores his sight. We are reading the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament, and we read miracles in the Old Testament, and we're like, wow, this is powerful. Here's the mistake we make. We assume mm. that change in our lives is going to happen just like that. But let me tell you what the New Testament doesn't talk about. The New Testament doesn't share with us about the man who was healed of leprosy, who, and this is my sanctified imagination now, who comes home to a wife who has emotionally detached from him and has prepared herself and her children for life without a husband that she knows one day will die. And he pops in, hey, honey, I'm healed. And she's like, she doesn't smile. She doesn't rejoice. And now he's like, no, wait a minute. 
And one of the Oprah moments. Honey, I'm don't. healed. <laughs> this is supposed to be an exciting time. Like, why are you not? Why are you not happy? See, the New Testament doesn't tell us about that. Or the man who's at the pool of Bethesda for 38 long years, and we have information that tells us that he's there because of choices he made on his own. Let's, you know, fast forward 21st century. He's dealing with addiction, and for 38 years, he's been gone. Nobody in his family has seen him, or they, maybe they've just seen him. Driving down the road, every once in a while, he'll pop up when he needs something, or they'll get a phone call, hey, can you send me some money? Whatever the case may be. After 38 years, listen to me, friends, Jesus heals him, and he comes home to his family. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm clean. And how does his family re receive that? I can, I can actually tell you how they receive it. Um, that was my family. That was my parents. My parents divorced when I was nine, and my father was an alcoholic. He was a generational alcoholic. His grandfather was an alcoholic. He, his father was an alcoholic, and he was an alcoholic, and who knows how far back that goes. But um, my dad was, yeah, it was very bad. And so they divorced when I was nine, um, but they happened to remarry when I was 19. And he had gotten sober, and he had gotten clean, and he, he was back home. By that time, I was 19 years old, and I had emotionally detached, beyond just physically detaching. I determined that I did not need a father. But of course, I did that to survive. Remember we talked about that this week, survival mode? When you're living in survival mode, you detach from people because you're afraid of losing them or you're afraid of making mistakes. There's very many reasons. But or that I, they'll hurt you. Or that they'll yeah. hurt you, right? Because that happened before. See, my dad had tried. We're going to talk about that, right? My dad had tried over the years, you know, but he kept falling. But this time, he was clean. But by this time, I had completely detached from my father and we did not have a good relationship so much so that he would try to reach out to me and I did not want him in my life. But God is good because God knew exactly when I needed my father, which happened to be at that moment. And if you don't mind, I'll just share just a little. I like hope, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I was 19 and I was really a wreck. Um, I was living not a good life and and so I was actually, weird enough, praying that God would, like, help me, you know, while I'm living this wrecked life. You know how you can sometimes judge the people that are around you that are out in the streets and you think that they just want to be out there? No. Mm -mm. <laughs> we just don't know how, right? And so um, I remember my dad, one day I had came home, returned home, and to get some clothes because I was living with a gentleman and I didn't want to see my father. And my dad said, Tamara, come have a seat. And, you know, and he said, come have a seat. And I thought to myself, like, what could he want? Because we never really even had a conversation. So he saw me with my bag, and I was getting ready to leave. And he said, Tamara, you need to come sit down and have a seat. And so I sat down. And he said, you know, I need to talk to you about some things. And see, at this moment, I had waited my whole life for this conversation. Because I was loaded. Like, I had the bazooka, you know. <laughs> I was ready. I said, okay, you want to have a talk? Let's have a talk, you know. And it just so happened that my dad, he just began to tell me that I was a beautiful young woman, that I had no business living with a gentleman who was not my husband, which was the truth. Remember, we talked about sending him through that filter. God had began to take me through that process. And um, I, I hated my dad at that moment. I was very angry with him, but he was speaking truth to me. You know, this, this guy, this dude, he was, you know, it was just weird. And after it was all said and done, he said, you know what, I need you to unpack your bags and I need you to go ahead and you're going to be home. And you want to know what I did? 
I stood up, grabbed my bag, and walked into my room <laughs> and slammed my door. Mm. And I cried and I cried and I cried on that bed. And I was so angry and so mad at him for stepping in. And at the same time, I felt so relieved because it was so something say, that I couldn't do for myself. Let me say this. We talked a few days ago about conflicting feelings. Yes. Right? She was angry mm -hmm. because he was putting the brakes on. But at the same time, she was happy because this was what she had longed for. Yes. And there's conflicting, there's times in our lives when we go through that mm -hmm. where we're conflicted and we, and then we begin to feel Sometimes we, 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 we feel guilty mm -hmm. because of these conflicting emotions, but it's not unnatural yeah. to experience conflicting emotions. And so if there's any parent out there who feels the way that my dad probably felt, right? I have no right to step mm. back into this child's life after I've made so many mistakes. I've given my heart to God and I've been a, 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 a renewed seven-day Adventist Christian and yet my child hates me. Lord, I don't know that I can do this. Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. by the grace of Almighty God, because we need you. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you it's going to be easy. And it took me a long time for me and my father to reconnect. But let me tell you something. It was the best thing that God ever did for me in my life. Mm. Amen. So back to this concept of change, or to finish off this thought on this concept of change, in the New Testament, the miracles of Jesus are there to demonstrate not only his power to change direction in our lives, but to demonstrate his power to help us to deal with all of the challenges that will arise as a result of a change in direction in our lives. Hmm. Did, did, did you get that? Right? So if he could heal me of leprosy, then he can take care of my family issues. Yeah. If he can take care of my addiction, then he can take care of my relationship issues, mm -hmm. right? And so this is the message that the miracles of the gospel are, in my mind, they are screaming at us, but we often miss. You remember Jesus tells the, the demoniac of Gadara when he wants to get into the boat, he says, no, go home and tell how great things God has done for you, right? I mean, think about that. This guy was naked, running around, beating people up. They would try to tie him up and he would unleash on people, probably kill people. Mm. And Jesus tells that guy, go home <laughs> and go tell the folks how great things God has done for you. Mm. Mm. Talk mm. about having to believe that the one who has freed me from the power of evil spirits yes. must of necessity also have the power to help me on this journey. Man, and that's what we must embrace when we consider change. God is not only able to overwhelm us with new information. He's not only able to convict us of a need to change, but he's also able to provide the power needed to walk in newness of life. Amen. And that's a process. Amen. That's a process. What is this process called? It's referred to as a change continuum. A change continuum. Now, the thing about uh, the change continuum is when you, okay, all right, I gotta, I gotta say this too. So we, we tend to have an all or nothing concept about change. Is that true? Yeah, because you know when you told your spouse that you wanted them to stop right here and there and not do that again, you wanted to stop right then and there. 
and really and truly not do it again. Yes. But not just on that level, but also as churches, we have that, right? Mm -hmm. We hold an evangelistic campaign. Mm. And we want everyone, a good evangelistic campaign is if everyone who comes gets baptized. Mm. We hold a stop smoking clinic. Mm. And a successful stop smoking clinic is if people actually stop smoking. Stop smoking, right? So it's either you do everything based on what's been presented or you don't. And, you know, if we had 100 people come and one person said yes, then we are rejoicing over the one. Have mercy. Now, let me tell you, that's the wrong thing to do. Have mercy. Now, I know y'all looking at me like, wait a minute, hold on, what, what, what are you telling us? No, listen, it's wrong only to rejoice over one. Because let me explain to you the experience of the other 99. Amen, amen. One of those people who came to that stop smoking clinic didn't want to come. But somebody in their family or their doctor told them, if you don't come or if you don't go to this, you're going to die. This is your last chance. And so they didn't want to come. But after coming, now they recognize a need for a change. They don't stop buying cigarettes, but they now recognize what? That's success. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you had someone who wasn't interested in the slightest, but now recognizes a need for change. And that's where you would look up here and you see where it says contemplation, right? Mm -hmm. We're not talking about contemplative, I don't know whatever that stuff is. We're talking about thinking, right? Mm -hmm. A person at one point never even thought about change, and now they're actually considering it. Right. That is nothing but a miracle of God. That's a miracle. And then you have another person who has actually been to a stop smoking clinic or they've tried to stop smoking five times and they've, you know, they've gone back to two packs a day and now they're here, they've showed up to your seminar because, man, I want to give it another shot, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, 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 and at the end, they say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm at it again. Mm -hmm. That's success, yeah. right? That's success. In the concept of the change continuum, it is not necessary to take people from zero to a thousand. It's only necessary to take them one step at a time. And as we move them one step, we can celebrate success. Rejoice. Right? Yeah. We can celebrate success. So listen, if we have this concept, if we have this concept down, it should change the way that we work with people that we're working with, right? As we're presenting better ways to eat, right? So it's like, ah, oh, man, we failed. They didn't stop eating pork ribs, <laughs> right? But did, did they decide to just eat chicken and fish? Did they decide to become vegetarian with dairy? They may not have become vegan, but did they make a step? Or did they decide, I'm going to add more fruits and vegetables to my diet? Something better. I'm going to begin an exercise program. All of these can be celebrated as successes. So this is a profound way for us to approach ministry, but more importantly, it's a profound way for us to approach the changes that need to take place here as well. Yes, because be the, the thing is this, though, because we forget that we are, are supposed to be evangelizing each other. Did you know that? That the first work is where? Yeah, mm -hmm. and see, sometimes we run away from home because they get on our nerves. 
Or because and they're not changing quick enough. they're not quick changing enough. as quick. So we're going to go out here <laughs> and we're going to go and get these other people because you don't want to change. And then what we end up doing is we create, we, keep, we create this habit of dropping people like a bad habit because they won't change the way we want them to, when we want them to, and how they want them to. You know that people actually can sense that from us, right? Mm, that they're a project. That they're just a project, mm -hmm. right? So um, one of the ways, one of the ways that, that God, I had to read a little book, uh, uh, and it was third because I'm, I'm a hypercritical individual. You're Anybody what? know what that you means? You what? What is you? Okay, come on. Now, do we what have is you? Hypercritical. Thank you. Hypercritical. Does anyone know what that means? Yeah, okay, I got one. The rest of you all are noobs. You don't know what that means, <laughs> right? So those of us who are hypercritical, mm -hmm. we tend to overanalyze, scrutinize, and uh, uh, um, and and all criticize the Isis, all the Isis. and criticize the things that the people we are in relationships with do. We can have a tendency towards perfectionism, mm -hmm. right? So I'm hypercritical, and I'm trying to learn not to be hypercritical. I remember I picked up a little book and it was uh, either 31 days or 61 days on how to, um, how, to, how, to, how to express or affirm thankfulness in your spouse. And every morning I had to get up, you know, I do my devotions and then I would pick up this little book because I wanted to say something positive. Because with unconsciously, I would say something negative, all right? Anybody ever been there? You don't mean to. You're not, you, uh, like my brother shared with us and, and, and sister, I didn't wake up this morning to destroy anybody's life. But you end up, you know, walking around like an elephant or a bull in a china shop. You just, uh, boom, uh, boom. And you're just messing people's lives up, right? So that's, that's me. So I have, to, I have to intentionally go about doing this. And I have to keep my mind. Now, did I do it perfectly? for 31 or 61 days. No, I did not. Did I continue the journey? Yes, yes I did. Yeah. And by the grace of God, I can say that I am a changed man. Hallelujah. I am a changed man. Or changed in that I'm not what in I used continuum. to be. Yeah. I'm in the continuum, yep. right? I still have my times when my, when my son or my daughter comes down on Sabbath morning, <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> Are we going to do that? That's what we're going to do. No, he's Didn't we ask you to get your clothes. Sabbath clothes ready? And, and that's what you want to wear? Come on, bro. How many suits do you have up in the closet? And this is what you're choosing to wear? So, I, you know, He struggled a lot me. with the slim, the slim pants. Pray he's he's still pray praying about that. Pray he's for me working on that through one. that, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got some serious yeah. log uh, action the going on. Skinny jeans there. is really struggling. We're but struggling if, we can, if, we can, if we can adopt this, not only for working with others, but also in our own relationships. Yeah. And we can give ourselves a break because we didn't do it perfectly the first time. Because, you know, hey, yeah. you know, we, we, we attended a seminar, we read a book, and, you know, why can't we do this? It's because it's new. Yeah. Right? And the same God who could convict and who could put it in our hearts and in our minds and in our lips to share so that you would hear and embrace whatever good you can take from these opportunities is the same God who can give us the power mm -hmm. to be able to live these things out on a day-to-day -day basis. What, what we want to do, because we only have a, a few minutes left, um, tomorrow is going to be um, the day that we want to, we are going to do another presentation, 
um, the first 20 minutes, but we wanted to actually allow for some time for question and answer. Now, this is what we're going to do, um, because we know that some of us are very comfortable with raising our hands, right, and just throwing it out there. That's great. But then there are some who are not comfortable with that, but you still would like to have questions. So we want to take the last few minutes of this part of the session. Um, and if you would like to create some questions, we want to collect them. You don't have to put your name. You don't have to put anything that's recognizable, okay, to who you are. Um, and I, man, I thought I brought the basket, but um, we want you to be able to write down any questions that you have, and we will try to tackle those tomorrow for the majority of the uh, last part of our session tomorrow, okay? So um, we have about five minutes left in the session, and so if... Um, how do you want to do this? Um, if you have paper and a pen, have at it, but we will go back and try to get something so that if you have any questions you want us to answer for tomorrow's uh, session, we're more than happy to take them, okay? So we're going to do that right now, or he's going to do you, that right now. Thank you so very much. Thank well, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Just, and please, write, write, write your questions again. Anyone, if you need well, if a you piece of paper, hand, just If you would like a piece of paper, you can share the paper, you can rip it up and... You know, share and it, it doesn't have to be a question about you. It can be about a hypothetical, you use hypothetical from another planet. You know, you know, your cousin's uncle's friend's sister. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you need a piece of paper, you can raise your hands, and someone will give you a piece of paper. And if you can tear it, you can tear it and share it. Oh, that's like that. You can put it on a T-shirt. Tear it and share it. Yeah, you can do that as well. You yeah. can do that as well. Yeah. And. And while you are doing that, um, if there's anyone who has not had an opportunity to participate in this, this right here has to do with processing through change, losses. Um, we took you through something that is called the C3 Challenge, Change, Challenge, and Choices. And what this is, this is one of the first steps that most people ever take in identifying that they actually have experienced a loss. And why is that so important? It's because sometimes we never do and we have it unprocessed. And one of the biggest leaps that you can make in processing change is to actually admit that you've experienced it. So if you still haven't had an opportunity to come up here and write your name, and if you circle it, you're circling it because you have experienced it within the last four, three to four years. But, just your initials. Yeah, just your initials. So, so I'm going to be in the back as we close out, and we'll do that right now yeah. with a word of prayer. I'll be in the back holding this, mm -hmm. and as you exit, you can just drop it in. Yeah. I promise I won't remember the style that you folded your paper and attach <laughs> it to you and make sure that, okay, yeah. So let's just uh, bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Yeah. Father in heaven, we are grateful that we serve a God who is all-powerful. Mm. You are able to give us life-altering moments mm. of transformation and change, but you are also powerful enough and loving enough to string together moments of continual change yes. and progress Amen. in our lives. I pray, dear Father, that something that has been shared either by us or by our brothers and sisters in this place will resonate with someone who is here. And I pray ultimately that we would reach out to you mm -hmm. and say, Lord, save me. Mm. Lord, help me to be the man I ought to be. Help me to be the woman I ought to be. The friend I ought to be. The aunt, the uncle, the grandmother, the grandmother 
Father, that I ought to be. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would answer these cries of our hearts mm -hmm. and help us to be tuned up and ready yes. for when you return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.